0: And welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. Hi! No <laughs> hi-de-ho friendos today. What was that, <laughs> Ariel? <laughs> you're
1: supposed to do what? something wacky, right and then you're right like, intro today.
0: <laughs> and John. Hey, everybody. Today's episode is all about geek love. No, it's not about the best-selling thriller by Catherine Dunn, but it's about what geeks love a product for all those board games, comics, and video games. But before all of that, there's nothing a geek loves more than data, and nothing gives us more data than ads. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support, so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping up sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit hubspot.com startups. Today in the tank, we have Geek Chic, which is brought to us by founder Robert Gifford. Now, Robert comes to us wearing a full bow tie, scully cap ensemble. We've got a sweater vest in the house, and he is asking for $100,000 for 5% in his company, which is a $2 million valuation. And his product, despite being called Geek Chic, is actually not fashion-oriented, but rather furniture oriented. So Geek Chic is a product line of beautiful hardwood furniture that's basically multifunctional storage units to store all of your geeky items in. And the main product that we see on the floor is essentially this huge sort of gaming table, but it comes with all of these compartments that open up and you can store various gaming and poker and card game items all in one table it's like the tailgate and go for gaming. So thinking about our product and thinking about our founder, what are our initial thoughts of this product?
2: Look, Jory. bow ties mean business. I am all in for Geek Chic. The branding is terrible, but we will get to that. The product I absolutely love. No
1: way. We'll
2: get to you, John, in a second. (laughs) It's a fully customizable table. So for any game that you play, you're able to switch out what you need for like your dice holding or for your Settlers of Catan. It's a fully functional table. And John, I want you to tell me what can your table do for you at that same price point?
1: Ariel, the market for this Swiss Army knife gaming table is so small. No one is going to buy this gaming table.
0: That's interesting because I feel like that's the same thing with the tailgate go. It's okay if it's a niche industry. And like, honestly, because the table has such a multifunctional use, it even like folds up to a desk at one point for your laptop. I'm actually surprised that you think it's too niche- to be a fully standing product. And that's just one of the products. Remember, while we only see the table, there's 19 other storage-type units that are sold by this company.
1: Yeah, I mean, my sense is that I get it. You look at the stats, the board game market has grown a lot over the last couple of years. I just don't think it's the future of gaming. Yeah, everything I see in the world of gaming is just going the opposite direction. I see all the innovation coming out from video games, from wearables, from headsets, immersive experiences, all that stuff. I don't think people have enough attention span for the type of game that requires going on so long that you have to put panels on top of it to eat all of your meals and then like keep going for multiple days. And to me, it just feels like he's solving a problem that's just out of date. It's just not a problem that exists in the world today. And so I just don't think there's going to be that many buyers for it.
0: So before Ariel goes off, because she is is chomping (laughs) at the bit, it is important to notice that this was an episode in 2013. So a lot of the evolution that's happened in the past couple of years, it's like important to keep that in mind. So maybe this is a product that's
2: before its time. Just wanted to add that small caveat on. Ariel, Go. I couldn't disagree with you more, John. So look, you go to your local game store, comic book store, and you'll find that every other night there's some kind of gaming activity or like board games, whether it's Warhammer 4000 or it's Settlers of Catan night. So I do think that there's still a market for board games. I was actually really curious, so I did take a look at Statista just to understand what the board game industry typically is. And in 2017 it was 1.2 billion in revenue and they're projecting it to be 3.6 billion for this year, which is a pretty significant like growing pocket, I would say from like an audience perspective. I do think that despite this being like this
0: customized board gaming experience, there's nothing about this that like differentiates itself as a board gaming table, but as a product, there is definitely like a market and there was back then for custom board gaming space. Yeah.
1: I mean, a small market, very small niche market. But (laughs) it's
0: not a small market. No, it's a table
2: with function, John.
0: Again, like we go back and forth in terms of like how niche is too niche, I don't think that the board gaming community is as niche as you're making it out to
1: be. Well, Ariel just told us that the entire board gaming market is $3 billion. Sure. What percentage of the board gaming market do you think a custom gaming table can capture?
0: Actually, a significant portion because the passionate crowd is going to want a custom board gaming table.
1: Well, of that $3 billion in the board game market, let's just say 10% are super passionate. It's $300 million that they're spending on gaming a year. And what percent can one company get? Mm-hmm. Maybe 1%. That's $3 million.
0: Which is not bad for a small company that's no, just trying to not. make custom It's <laughs> a
1: super small market. You're like, it's not a small market. It's a small market, I
2: think. I- Wish that he showcased more of what the furniture was in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, sure, if you're just looking at the table, it's going to be a small amount of the actual TAM equivalent, like the board game industry. I'm also thinking about Mm -hmm. your college kids, you have your roommates, you put in $3,000 to get a nice table, but to still have it for a poker night or, Mm -hmm. you know, like more casual games.
1: Yeah, you're right, Ariel. College students might find a use for this. What was your dining room table in college? Because mine was a door that I found on the side of the road that I put on some chairs. Oh, my gosh. Who has 3500 bucks when they're in college to buy a gaming table for their living room? You can't even buy food. We
0: had very different college experiences.
1: (laughs) I think it's a beautiful table. I think it is a really creative product. I think there's lots of people in the world who might find it really interesting. I think it's just a really small market. Okay. So you just take the furniture business to begin with. Mr. Wonderful was all over him. He's like, how are you going to actually like win when the furniture industry has been totally decimated in this country, you know, offshore, et cetera. And it just makes you realize that there's only two models here. There's high-cost products, the premium products, and those probably even cost more than $3,500. You might be undercharging for the product, actually. And then there's the low-cost products, which maybe are like the Screamium products because they cause you to scream because you have to assemble it's them and it's screamium. so awful to do.
0: The Ikea model. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I think that both of those, both the low-cost and the high-cost parts of that market are very saturated. If there are big, entrenched, horizontal players, basically have two options you can either create a much cheaper but not as good product and that situation is basically a your margin is my opportunity i'm going to come in and charge much less for something but it's super hard in manufacturing because the big companies have scale and scale equals cost leverage and so the incumbent can just mm-hmm. like lower their prices and beat you so that's not a very like feasible option to go in and compete on price which means you have to create a much better product to meet the unique needs of some part of the market that's being underserved which is what he's tried to do but It's just tough because that typically is very limited in size. And I think that's the challenge for him ultimately here is it's just not that big of a market. I appreciate his honesty. I like that he just was straight up was like, I'm a geek and geeks are awesome. I like that kind of pride.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Did you love that? I thought that was a little weird because I was like, is geek something that like you can really self-identify as? Yes. Which brings me to kind of branding where is geek something that you actually want intrinsically tied to your brand because it actually might throw off your larger
2: audience? Uh, where do I begin? I think the name first and foremost, when you hear geek chic I immediately thought fashion. I was like, right. oh, apparel. Like, it's going to be like anime mm-hmm. themed or video game He walks themed. out in a, like a bow tie. Exactly. Like, of course you think fashion. So I would really reconsider the name. And I think what it comes down to is kind of what you were hinting at, Jory, is like, do people like to identify themselves as geeks? So like, does he really know his target audience? Mm.
1: I don't want to like characterize this group of people, but none of you associate as geeks. I do. See? Do
2: you? Yes.
1: So I got a theory here. I think that those of us who are on the... Uh, on the geeky side, <laughs> I think we either consider ourselves geeks, nerds, or dorks.
2: There's a difference.
1: I think there's a difference, too. There is a difference. And Ariel, it sounds like you're a geek.
2: I do consider myself a geek. What's your geek thing? I did bring with me what I geek over. Which is? What I would use is if he had a shelf for all of my manga collection. Oh, wow, <laughs> and real? then all of my different controller I colors that I have for my wow. PlayStation oh as well. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I know you so much better now. Oh, my god. Not a lot of people know that about me when they look at me, but I'm very geeky. Yes.
1: (laughs) Jory, are you a nerd? Are you a dork?
2: See, I don't like any of those words. Mm.
0: So geek is weird to me because it's like an old school term for a carny, like a carnival worker. And Mm. I have gone way too far deep into the origins of that word to ever self-identify as that.
2: Interesting.
0: Dork and nerd have always been like derogatory connotations with me. So I also don't self-identify as either of that. But if I was to be a geek, I'm probably like a tarot card geek of all things. Mm. I have about 20 decks. So I think that would be my geeky slice.
1: I love it. I think I'm a dork. Oh. A dork. You know, I've told a lot of people I'm a dork. Many agree.
0: (laughs) Got some market (laughs) research there. What are you dorky for, John? (laughs) What do
1: I dork out about? Oh, God, I'm the worst now. I'm so basic. I (laughs) like marketing, I guess. I've got a lot of like uh, shallow hobbies, bird watching, nice fish, canoeing. I read a lot of sci-fi books.
2: All good dorky things. All things that can't use a gaming table, unfortunately.
0: So a lot of the points that you brought up, John, in terms of only seeing it as a table or really seeing this as like a beautiful product, but one that's far too niche to invest in. You know, I think that the majority of the sharks really aligned with that. But ultimately, even though Damon didn't love the geek branding. And even though Rob was still sort of trying to get a sense of where this could like fall in terms of his portfolio, both of the sharks actually came forward and offered a deal. And ultimately, even though it wasn't looking good for a little bit, this founder did walk away with a deal with Robert for $300,000 for 25%. So ultimately, the sharks did geek out to this product and there was a deal made. So after the tank the entrepreneur went on with another investor and actually backed out of the deal with Robert. Oh. oh. So again, what? we talk about sometimes these handshake deals happen, but this time it wasn't actually the shark, it was the founder that backed out. It was just like, see you later, Rob, ain't got time for you. <laughs> But that might not have been the most long-term vision setting for this company because ultimately the company announced that it was closing Mm -hmm. as of June 13, 2017, and they filed bankruptcy with $7.5 million in liabilities and $1.4 million of assets. So I don't know what the geeky or gaming equivalent of like bombing is, but it went down hard. Mm. It got pwned. (laughs) It got pwned. Thank you, Ariel. (laughs) Today's episode was written and produced by the mythical Matthew Brown. Additional support comes from Melanie Romero and editing from Robert Hartwig. If you're a fan of the show, even if you're not a fan of the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to support the show. That does it for me. We'll see you next episode here in the tank for another bite.